Uh, do you have a Bible? If you do, I'd invite you to turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, and if you don't, uh, go to the store and buy one after the service and bring it next week. If you, just kidding. But seriously, if you need one, uh, that'd be one way to get one, or we'll help you get one. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. It's a very short verse, just nine words long, and we're going to hang out here this morning. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Let's pray together. God, it's so good to be with you together like this in this setting. And uh, we miss this when we're apart from this community and this chance to corporately sing out to you and proclaim our love to you and hear from you and learn from you. And uh, there's just something about, uh, uh, like, home about all of this. And so I pray that we would sense you and your goodness and your love and your word washing over us as we take some time and dive into this text this morning, Father. Pray that all the holiday stuff would sort of be cleared out and that we would just have uh, real clarity about you and what it is you're trying to say to us today, Lord. We, we want to hear from you. And we sure love you, and this is all because of you, Jesus. And so we pray this in your holy name. And everyone said, amen. And we're going to camp out here. Like I said, this is a very, very short verse, nine words long. Yet, uh, at the same time it's uh, short, it's also packed with a richness that I think makes it worth our investigation. And as you've probably been experiencing a lot like us for the past several weeks, and even maybe some of us, though I'm not there for the past several months, lots of us have been thoroughly occupied with this topic of gifts, haven't we? It's sort of been the overwhelming theme of this season of the year. And all of us at some level feel this certain pressure to choose just the right Christmas gifts to give to just the right people in our lives, right? And in light of the Apostle Paul's exclamation in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 15, I think a very fair and fitting question would be, have you ever received a gift that was too wonderful for words? Have you ever received a gift that was too wonderful for words? Have you ever received a gift that simply left you speechless? Just think on that for a moment. Ruminate on that. Think about for you, what kind of a gift would it take for you to open it up and classify it as too wonderful for words? Over at our house on Friday, uh, there were a lot of gifts that got opened, all of them very cool. Uh, the five younger kids got those crazy little DS things, you know. Josh and Silas, they got uh, cell phones. I have no idea what in the world that is all about. My brother and sister got the whole family a wee, uh, which is a fun little excursion. Me, I got clothes, uh, in case you're wondering. And as cool as all that stuff was, I promise you that none of it fell into the category of too wonderful for words, honestly. It was cool stuff, but none of it fell into the category of too wonderful for words. But what does it take for a gift to fall into the category of being too wonderful for words? Is it a gift where you open it up and say, oh, it's just beautiful, or oh my gosh, I've always wanted one of those, or, oh my, what is it? Maybe for you, 
Uh, the class of gifts that falls into the category of too wonderful for words is a gift that conveys a whole bunch of emotion. Maybe it's a gift that was given to you by someone who's very special and maybe it came, from, uh, it came as a complete surprise when it was given because of sort of the added emotional load. It's something that you, you'll treasure for the rest of your life. But what, what's it take to make a gift too wonderful for words? I think our five-year-old twin boys, Preston and Dylan, I think they got a few gifts that were too wonderful for words this Christmas. Uh, they were the large boxes of clothes. And uh, you can imagine all the enthusiasm that five-year-olds muster on Christmas Day being energized into these very large boxes and they tear the top and throw it up in the air and look into the box. Uh, clothes? Mom, where's the next gift? You know, like, too wonderful for words. Every year, Neiman Marcus, they unveil a handful of over-the-top fantasy holiday gifts. They're actually real gifts, and these are actually uh, things that might, for some people, fall into the category of too wonderful for words. Here's, here's one right here, uh, and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. You could have one of those for just $25,000. It is a cheery confection, uh, delicious-looking go-kart is what that is. You can go up and down the road at seven miles per hour, Ooh. Uh, uh, and it comes in different sort of uh, colored flavors as well as a choice of your mm, decorations, you know, sprinkles and icing. And uh, uh, it does come with a matching hat, in case you were wondering, $25,000. This is more my speed right here, yes. Mm -hmm. Isn't that cool? That uh, sweet little gem is just $250,000. And You don't need to bother with like his or her towel sets. Instead, how about this luxury aircraft built for two? It's called the Icon A5, made of lightweight carbon fiber. It's real, by the way. It has spy movie wings that fold up. It can land on land or water. And it comes with uh, FAA-certified flight training, uh, you know, for a quarter million dollars. There it is. How about this little gem right here? Maybe this is more your speed. Mm, Look at that. $73,000. They call it the Mission One. It's the fastest electric sport bike on the planet. It reaches 150 miles an hour on Durston Road uh, with 100 foot-pounds of instantaneous torque. And you don't have to worry about the tailpipe squeal and pesky exhaust. It runs on a lithium-ion battery pack with 150-mile range. It's green, zero carbon emissions, 73 grand. How about this, though? Look at ah, that beauty. $105,000, Jaguar makes uh, this car uh, just for Neiman Marcus for this special Christmas catalog, just 50 of them they make. Has a 5-liter V8, 470 horsepower, not so green, the Jaguar. Uh, And uh, accompanying the car is a uh, luxury five-piece luggage set made by Jaguar to put into the trunk when you travel about. Now, just in case any of you are wondering, if, if you bought me any of those gifts, uh, I would gladly put them into the Too Wonderful for Words gift category, just in case you were wondering. And we look at gifts like that, right? And they certainly sort of blow our hair back and stagger our imagination. But honestly, none of those are really too wonderful for words, are they? And you know how you prove that is that you look at uh, the effort the manufacturers and advertisers go to to come up with plenty of words to describe those and many, many other gifts in such appealing ways 
as to make us think and feel that there's no way to live the rest of our life without having that. Life will just not be the same unless we have that. Now switching your mind back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You have the very prolific biblical author, the Apostle Paul. He starts off the beginning of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, and he's writing about human gifts. And he's writing to the church at Corinth, and the church in the city of Corinth, they had just taken up these fantastic offerings to send back to Jerusalem to help support poor Christians in Jerusalem. Not a lot unlike or dissimilar from the effort that we're putting forth with the Ethiopia Hope Project, that uh, Ethiopia Hope tree out there where you can pluck chickens and pieces of the wall off, and we're giving generously around here to help people on another part of the globe. And it, it's not too dissimilar from that. And so Paul is commending, he's saying to the church at Corinth, way to go, good job. It's fantastic that you are giving so generously to such a fantastic cause. And so he's commending them, saying, keep that level of generosity up with your finances. And then he takes the opportunity to do a little instruction, a little teaching in the area of generosity and finances. He says, look, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. It's just a principle that's true inside the kingdom of God. But, Paul teaches, those who sow generously will reap generously. So, way to go. Kudos to the church at Corinth and keep that up. And then Paul, sort of on a dime, he shifts his attention from these human gifts to the greatest gift that God's ever given, his sending of his son Jesus Christ to earth on what was the first Christmas, right? And Paul, who we all know is a man of many, many, many words, just thumb through the New Testament of the Bible sometime, Paul, who is typically a man of many, many words, he comes up short on words to describe the kind of gift that Jesus Christ was. And so he simply says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. He comes up short on words to describe the gift that Jesus Christ is and was. Now think about it with me. Think about the lengths that people have gone to down through the ages to stir people's hearts toward the imagination of how wonderful Jesus Christ is and was. Consider musicians and music for a moment. Think how they've composed some of the most great and most stirring music that's ever been written, all in the genre of proclaiming how wonderful God's gift of Jesus Christ is. Handel's Messiah, for example. What an incredible piece of music. Bach's Christmas Oratorio, another incredible piece of music. Think about the beautiful Christmas time hymns, all that have been written to proclaim God's gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Joy to the world, Silent Night, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and on and on and on. The list could go. Literally, some of the greatest music that our ears will ever hear this side of heaven were composed to musically portray God's gift that was too wonderful for words. Amazing. And in that same vein, just consider how poets and painters and sculptors and artists of every other artistic discipline have taken up the tools of their trade to pay tribute to Jesus Christ, who was a gift of God's love and nothing but God's love. And the Apostle Paul says, look, thank God for this gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, who is a gift far too wonderful for words. Why, why does he land there? Why does he call Jesus a gift too wonderful for words? 
uh, at least four reasons come to mind, and we'll work through these four together in the time that we have remaining. Number one is because of who Jesus is. Paul calls Jesus the gift that is too wonderful for words because of who Jesus is. As I rattled around inside of this text, it occurred to me that one of the reasons that Paul calls Jesus too wonderful for words is because of who Jesus is at his core, his very nature. Consider this question for a moment. How do you set about describing Jesus Christ? Think about that. How do you set about describing Jesus Christ? What words do you choose? How do you describe a baby who was born of a virgin? How do you do that? How do you describe God himself, live and in the flesh, walking around on planet Earth and loving and serving and giving himself entirely to the very people who necessitated his trip to the planet to live and die. What words does one use to describe that? The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 7, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. How do you use words to describe that? What words would you choose if you were assembling the words to describe such a gift? After all, how do you use words to describe what is spirit when the world that we traffic in so much of the time is only physical, is only material, is only what you can touch and see and interact with? How do you use words to describe the God who has all knowledge when we have such limited, such incredibly limited knowledge? How do you use words to describe the God who is all-powerful when the best word for we humans is all-feeble? How do you use words to describe the eternal the forever, when our focus so much of the time is on the temporal, only the right here, right now. How do you use words to describe he who is, well, indescribable? How do you use words? And Paul says, look, I'm trying with everything in me, but I can't muster the words. My words are inadequate. They fall so short. And some of the supposed wisest men in the world couldn't take a clue from Paul and continued to try to describe Jesus. Uh, the Council of Chalcedon, they gathered in A.D. 451. It was a gathering of some of the greatest theological minds of the day, and they came together from October 8th to November 1. You think you have to attend some long meetings. Imagine that one. They gathered at a place called Chalcedon, which is a city in Bithynia, which is in Asia Minor, which, if you care, has been really absorbed uh, by modern-day uh, Greater Istanbul. 
And they gathered for the uh, purpose, for the reason of repudiating the idea that Jesus Christ was only capable of having one nature. It's a heresy that we now know as monophysitism. And the Council of Chalcedon replaced that heresy with this understanding that because Jesus is both God and man, he's capable of having two natures inside of one person. And at that gathering, they wrote a creed to describe Jesus. And here's just a slice of the creed they wrote. Perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. Truly man of a reasonable, rational soul and body. Consubstantial, co-essential with the Father according to the manhood. And all things like unto us without sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. And in these latter times for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary and of the Mother of God. According to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, in the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved. I don't know about you, but I could hardly understand a single word of that. And that's just one example of humanity's attempt to describe this gift Jesus Christ, who is too wonderful for words. Even, see, when we bring together the greatest minds on the planet and when we try to leverage our most extensive use of vocabulary, we cannot adequately muster words to describe the gift of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, look, Jesus Christ is a gift too wonderful for words because of who he is at his very nature. Number two, Paul calls Jesus this gift too wonderful for words because of why he came to earth, the whole reason he came. Just consider with me for a moment what it was that the angels announced to the shepherds. Check this out, Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight. Very familiar words. That night, the first Christmas, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. All people. Check this out. The Savior. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. What is it exactly that we're celebrating at Christmas time? It's the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to be our Savior for the purpose of saving us, bringing us back to God. God knew humanity needed saving. He watched every day around the clock humanity's inhumanity because of the broken nature of every person on the planet. And he knew that wasn't going to get any better if it was just left, if we were just left to ourselves. As a matter of fact, it would only get worse. And so God looked on our world and he saw a whole sea of need, of course, and God made a decision. He decided that our greatest need, it wasn't more wealth and it wasn't better education and better schools. It wasn't a better welfare system. God looked on humanity and decided that it wasn't even a universal health care plan that we needed. Instead, he said, our greatest need is a savior. One who would make a way and bring us back to God. And this time of year, we we hear about this sort of ever-elusive peace on earth, and we hear all about that. Peace on earth, peace on earth. 
But the truth is, the peace on earth that we hear so much about, it will remain ever elusive until every human being on planet earth has been lifted out of their sin by the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Had their hearts changed and transformed by the one who is the Redeemer and Savior of humanity, and had their way of thinking utterly transformed, turned upside down by God's way of thinking. And that only happens when the Savior comes into the life of a person. We're not going to bring peace on earth through a treaty. It's only going to come through the transformation of the heart that only Jesus Christ can render. And you think on that, and you think on the purpose that Jesus came to be our Savior, how do you muster words to describe that kind of gift? How do you put into words what it was that God accomplished when he sent his only son into the world? Paul says, look, Jesus is a gift that's too wonderful for words just because why he came to earth. Third, Paul says Jesus is a gift too wonderful for words because Jesus was given as a true gift of grace. A true gift of grace. We all gave gifts over the past several days for a whole variety of reasons. And in a whole bunch of those cases, those gifts were given because the people you gave them to have some claim on you, right? Now, this can be a little difficult to swallow for us. But honestly, I buy gifts for my wife, Dana, because she's my wife, right? We buy gifts for our children because they're our kids. We buy gifts for other members of our family because they're members of our family. See, when we give any gift, even if it's something as noble as feeding the hungry or clothing the naked or taking care of the homeless, we do it because down deep inside we recognize, we admit that we owe a debt to humanity. We carry a sense of obligation to other people, which is exactly what makes God's gift of Jesus Christ so different, so special. Because God didn't and God doesn't owe us anything. Especially because we live our lives in near constant rebellion to him and his plan for our lives. Which is exactly why the Apostle Paul, the same guy who wrote about God's gift too wonderful for words, he says something so remarkable about Jesus in Romans 5.8. This is from the message rendering of the text. Speaking of Jesus, he didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He, that's Jesus, presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything, to do anything to get ourselves ready. God gave us the gift of Jesus Christ, not because he feels in any way obligated to give a gift, but only because his love for us is so overwhelming. Think about that. Not because he thinks he owes us anything, but simply because he loves us to that extent. It is the true gift of grace. And when you consider the manger at Bethlehem and when you consider the Christ child, we all, every single person on planet earth, must come to some, at some point come to terms with the truth that Jesus Christ was the true gift of God's grace and nothing else. And Paul nails it. He says, that kind of a gift? Too wonderful for words. Far too wonderful for words. And fourth, and finally we'll land here today, 
Paul calls Jesus the gift too wonderful for words because the effect that he has on our lives. The effect he has on our lives. The effect that Jesus, the gift too wonderful for words, has on our lives. Honest question. When you opened your gifts on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, did any of them make your life any different? Honestly? Did any of them truly change your life and make you new in any way? Or are you today just the same you've always been, just now you have more stuff uh, uh, and you have to find more places to put it than you did before? But what happens when any of us receive God's gift of Jesus Christ into our lives? The Bible in very straightforward fashion teaches that we invite, when we invite Jesus to be our Savior, when we receive and unwrap, if you will, the gift that is too wonderful for words, we are never the same again because of how he transforms and changes our lives. First, he comes into our life and he forgives us of our sin. Think about that. Now that might, if you've been around the church very long, start to sound old and trite. So much so that some of the time we're like, yeah, tell me something I don't know about Jesus. Yeah, he forgives me of my sins. But please, do not dismiss that truth so quickly. Because when our sins are forgiven, God forgets them. He forgets them. Which means that he doesn't remember them as far as the east is from the west. When Jesus is your savior, your sins are forgiven. We ought to treasure that promise, that truth, with all of us and carry that with us. It, it's the furthest thing from trite. He forgives us of our sins. Second, when we invite Jesus to be our savior, we're in an instant adopted into his family. We're made citizens of his kingdom. Before that transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, this gift that is too wonderful for words, we're foreigners and aliens in our relationship with God. We're separated from him. But the moment we step into a relationship with him, we're adopted as sons and daughters of the almighty God of the universe. You talk about a vaunted title. Son or daughter of the most high God of the universe. It doesn't get any better than that. Everything that belongs to Jesus then confers to us. We become brothers and sisters in God's family. All when we take him up on his offer of a gift. The gift that is too wonderful for words. Three, when we invite Jesus to be our savior, we receive God's gift of his Holy Spirit. And lots of times the Holy Spirit kind of wigs us out. Some people call him the Holy Ghost, and that really wigs us out. Ooh. But the Holy Spirit of God, the moment we cross the line of faith in him, he takes up residence in us, all for the purpose of guiding and counseling and protecting and empowering us to live the life that God intends for us to live. We don't have to walk around wondering what it is that we're supposed to be about. The Holy Spirit of God is inside of us. 24 hours a day, around the clock, guiding and protecting and empowering and counseling, steering our lives on the course that God has mapped out for us. The way life was intended to be lived from the very beginning of time. The Holy Spirit of God Fourth, when we invite Jesus to be our Savior, we're given his peace. 
real peace. Not the peace of the world that just is like, yeah, everything's fine when everything's the furthest thing from fine. But it's the peace that God's word tells us is beyond our ability to understand it. We, we, we can't even fathom the peace that is ours. It's a peace that energizes and empowers us to stand strong in the face of anything that comes at us in this life. All the fractures, all the brokenness, all the wreck, all of it. Peace. And fifth, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, this is amazing, our residence in heaven is bought and paid for, which is the dwelling place in which we'll reside for all of eternity after this life is over. A place for us, on reserve with God in heaven. Talk about a gift, too wonderful for words. And so you can just picture the Apostle Paul, he's thinking on God's gift of Jesus Christ to humanity. And he says, look, I'm out of words. Words escape me. Jesus Christ is God's gift to humanity and he is a gift that is simply too wonderful for words and all I can do in light of such a gift is fall on my knees and thank God for such a gift as Jesus is. Which seems to be a very fitting posture for us, especially this time of the year, Christmas time. And so I just invite you, would you set your stuff aside, please? And I just ask you to move into a posture of prayer and listening to the Lord. Close your eyes and bow your head and just listen into the Lord, if you would. Get quiet with Him. I'm just going to ask you to stay parked in this posture of prayer and listening interaction with God. It's an interesting thing that God looked at our confused world just about 2,000 years ago. And at that time, he would have seen Roman soldiers marching in the streets. And he would have seen people searching for peace and meaning and significance in life. And into that kind of world, he wanted so urgently to communicate his love. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a baby, as an infant. A gift that Paul calls too wonderful for words. And the truth is that a couple thousand years later, God's love is still prevailing. God is still looking on humanity, seeing our struggle for peace and meaning and significance, our scratching around and searching. And he says, look, The same gift that was available 2,000 years ago in my son Jesus Christ is available to you right here, right now, today. If you haven't asked Jesus to be your Savior, what's holding you back? Honestly. What's hanging you up?
Why wouldn't you say yes to life the way that God intended for it to be lived in relationship with him? God, we love you. And we're staggered when we think about the level of your love for us. Especially the love that you expressed through your son, Jesus. We don't take him or you for granted just with everything we can muster say thank you thanks for loving us unconditionally thanks for giving us a shot to live life the way you intended it to be lived and God I pray for those in this room right now for whom there's much tension going on in their hearts as there are those who are contemplating a first-time step across the line of faith in you. And if that describes you, wherever you're sitting in this room, I just invite you to say to God, I want a relationship with you. You don't have to say it out loud. Just in the silence of your heart, say, God, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Please forgive me. And I don't even fully understand But I do acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross as the payment for my sin. And because of that gift, I repent. And I turn from my sin. I turn from my own path. And God, I'm going your way from here on out. Help me, God, please begin life the way you intended it, marked by the peace It comes from you and you alone. And that choice to yield your life to Jesus Christ, to invite him to be your savior is the biggest deal of your whole life. There's not a bigger decision a person will ever make. And it's so weighty around here, we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. And so I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. Nobody's going to embarrass you in any way. I'm the only person looking around this room If you prayed with me just then, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and just say, yes, I made that choice today. Yeah, right, right over there. Way to go. Way to go. And back there in the back, I see you over there. Way to go. And both of you up there, both of you. Are there any others? Would you just make sure I catch your eye? I don't want to miss you. God, we're with Paul, honestly. We think on the gift of Jesus Christ and our words fall so short, God. And so instead of words, God, what we give you is our lives. And we say, here's me. And I'm giving you everything I've got. I'm giving you all access past to my life. 
May everything I am and everything I do be as worship to you, God. Grateful worship, grateful obedience, grateful following of the one who loved us so much that he didn't keep anything back. And God, I pray that we would be strong in you. That we would carry the strength of Jesus Christ himself. And that your Holy Spirit would be ever active in our hearts. And that we would be ever sensitive to his leading and stirring, nudging. God, I pray that our hearts would be pure before you. Untainted. unhindered uninhibited as we worship the one who gave us everything thank you God we love you with our whole lives we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ the one who is the gift too wonderful for words and the church said Amen.